Someday. 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 Some, someday we'll just continue our globe-trotting tour of the world and, you know, three films at a time. Three films at a time. Hmm. Today, I believe he will do the films of, uh, Ken Loach. Hmm. I, Daniel Blank, I believe. The Wind That Shakes the Barley, maybe? Have you, have you seen I, Daniel Blank? Uh, no, I have not. It seems like a bubber. It's great. It's no, so it's good. sad. It's really good. It's really yeah. sad. Well, Ken Loach rules. His movies yeah. are good. Uh, he's like one of those guys. He's like a white whale of mine in the sense that like he has so many movies. It's so overall. Well, I don't even know where to start with him. I kind of thought you were going to say in the sense I'd like to be adopted by him. <laughs> I mean, I would. It'd be cool to be adopted. Although I feel like he'd be like a stern. He would not like it. Like he'd be like, oh, you're eating crisps again. Yeah, you know, you know who like you, you know who also ate crisps, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> so Winston Churchill, that slimy yeah. bloke. Yeah. Oh, how I yeah. hate him! His house is probably fairly serious. Hello, and welcome to the award-winning <laughs> podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. It's not Ken Loach, it's Patrick Gremion. It was a trick. <laughs> it was a trick. Was a welcome trick. to the Academy, and welcome to our <laughs> yearly, our July trek into yes. the world of modern international cinema. <laughs> Last <laughs> year, at least, I'd say, arguably one of our more celebrated mm. episodes, yes. the Infinite Worlds of Hong sang We've kept up mm-hmm. with Hong. Um, I don't know. Latest in Hong news, he's got two on their way to the United oh, yeah. States at some point this year, and he is apparently shooting his third film with Isabelle Huppert Ooh. right now. Another so, Hong Sang Su Anjou. Oh, indeed, indeed. And uh, God only knows what he's up to, but we'll, we'll be there. Yep. We'll be there for you, Hong. Oh, for sure. Uh, and then we did my birthday episode where we looked at the the work of James Foley. Oh, yeah. Two bit. <laughs> two, two bit, our most popular episode over four thousand downloads. No. Two bits fever swept we America. Are, you know, we're talking about ghosts in cinema today, but I think we talked about ghosts <laughs> in cinema then too. Is, yeah, Al Pacino in that movie is a ghost. Jeez, two bits. What a yeah. It's so funny when you pause Tar, you can see Al Pacino's character. Yeah. He pushes Tar down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tar, tar, you gotta help me. You gotta say, I have to say how goodbye. You, how, to my... Tar, how did you bruise your face? It's like five foot five Italian guy pushed me down the stairs. He's elderly. This like... bit, it was him now. It was weird. It was a middle aged Italian man in old man makeup. Was the old man makeup good? <sighs> no, I mean, if it was like a community theater, maybe it would be good. Serviceable? Serviceable? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this I is like... it's coming from me, Tar. I'm a hard, I'm a tough critic, so I call it serviceable. <laughs> yeah, it's better than uh, Mark Strong's wig. I'll tell you that yeah, much. That's, that's what Tar true. would say. That's what Tar would say. Indeed. Yeah, Tar his, did not like that wig. His uh, his conducting's almost as bad as his wig. <laughs> his, his dang wig. <laughs> his dang wig. Uh, <laughs> now this time we are flying west mm-hmm. from South Korea, and we're landing in. Germany, with one of Germany's most celebrated modern filmmakers, Christian Petzold. Um, I'm calling this episode Historical Silence, the works of Christian Petzold. I think Historical Silence is uh, 
pretty fitting for his Yeah, work. Um, sounds it up. I've been a fan of his in similar similar vein actually to Hong Sang Su and and thank them again. Um, two or three years ago, Criterion Channel put up a four film Petzold retrospective, including an interview with him, and uh, that was how I I took a look at all four of them. I've been hooked. I um to the point where I was anticipating the release of Andina in the year 2000. I watched it at the New York Film Festival in their COVID online edition, which included a Q&A with Petzold where he described his, he was one of the first people I ever heard about who he got COVID very early because he showed Andina at the Berlin Film Festival and both he and his star Paula Beer got struck down in their travels doing press. And he was like laid up for quite an extended period of time and it was haunting to him um but he's recovered he and his one of the other reasons we're doing this is uh this episode is released july 11th on july 14th in unfortunately probably just the larger some new york la type cities his new film a fire comes out In the theaters that I'm looking forward to, he will be at the American Cinematheque on July 16th and 17th. Uh, 16th, he'll be at the Los Feliz 3 showing a fire. And on the 17th, he'll be showing a fire with a double feature with one of our movies for today, Phoenix. Um, I'll be at the Los Feliz 3 show if anybody, if any of the, if anyone's out who listens to the show and wants to say hi and Yeah, talk, yeah. talk Petzl. I am Talk. so excited. So excited. I think he's one of the most exciting filmmakers going right now. I think he's incredibly unique. But the cool thing about him is, like, Hong, last year, we kind of talked, you do definitely have to be on the wavelength. He Yeah. is going to challenge you. It's going to be, like, a bit of a journey to Yeah. kind of, like, break the mold. Like, you were talking about with Ken Loesch of almost, like, the white whale, where do I start? Mm Kind of thing. I think Hong Sang Su is even tougher. -hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because like Hong Sing Su, he's like, he has a new cinematic language you have to learn, basically, Mm -hmm. which is like really cool and rewarding. Um, if you want to like, you know, try something new. If you want to like, if you want to, you know, take a walk on the wild side. But if you're like someone who kind of just wants some meat and potato cinema, then you know, Hong Sing Su, uh, it's a little tough. Could be rough. Indeed. And one thing that really sticks out to me with Christian Petzold is the fact that like he toes the line better than most international filmmakers right now of the art cinema world combined with his clear love of like Hollywood genre and like thrillers, horror, like any of those kind of movies. They're not obvious in his films, but the influence is clearly there. too is what he's going for but he's also gonna it, he's not gonna make it easy for you which brings out that like defiantly european art film side Mm -hmm. um Yeah. patrick a fun fact about petzold a few years ago he did a top 10 list uh of movies that he was enjoying in the moment Mm for -hmm. grasshopper films website and it went semi-viral among movie heads that he picked den of thieves It's one of the 10 films that he was really into. And it's come up in many interviews since about like, whoa, you really liked it. He's like, I loved it. <laughs> so, like, That's to the point is that where Joe Carnahan? 
Uh, no, so Den of Thieves is, some people consider it like a simpler title, Dumb Heat. <laughs> it's, I'm already sold. <laughs> it's this movie, so it's like this, what's what's the guy's name who directed it? Came out in 2018, we're a little Den of Thieves side. This guy named Christian Gudegast direct, wrote, oh. directed, wrote, directed in. And is kind of the auteur of the entire thing. Um, the leads are Gerard Butler, naturally, okay. uh, Pablo Schreiber, <laughs> O'Shea Jackson Jr., and Fifty Cent are the key leads. And like, it's it's it's, it's like I said, it's heat. It's basically like you get a crew of robbers mm -hmm. and get a crew of cops, and mm -hmm. of course they're like. And this movie's also it should be noted 140 minutes long. Oh my god <laughs> and it's so um it's like so it's kind of like so weird and trashy that it circles around to great and kind of transcendent i think that's what like petzl is talking about and like so like gerard butler plays detective nick big nick o'brien who's like a total like alcoholic like like lunatic cop he gained like alert. he gained like 30 pounds for the role because he's like kind of overweight for it oh so he's and... like cop landing oh yeah and you can see him like sweating booze on screen <laughs> it's it's quite a performance oh no but it was like so funny because it's like petzl it's part of this like whole school of like you know european right. festivals and all these kind of things but he's yeah. like throws a curveball out there that he's a den of he like many of us is a den mm -hmm. of thieves fanatic as well um should be noted he was born in the year 1960 in hilden germany raised in hahn germany where he graduated from high school in 1979 uh cinema fan from the start um moved to berlin in 1981 where he studied theater at the free university of berlin and then he went to um german film and television academy berlin in from 1988 to 1994 um should be noted that one of the teachers there was experimental filmmaker and media theorist harun faraki mm. who became christian petzold's mentor and co-writer on the films we are watching today mm. Um, I believe he did not um, he yeah he was co-writer on Phoenix and Barbara but he sadly passed away unexpectedly and in the year 2014 and um, right after Phoenix was released and transits actually dedicated to him oh wow and he was a key figure in Petzold's life and kind of guiding force and I noticed too at uh, Videotech in Pasadena there's a Harun Faraki section in the German portion of the store, and I'm—I've never seen one of his films, and I plan on diving in yeah. one of these days. Um, so at this school, so it should be known a little historical context. Of course, Germany um, has had had its fair share of issues in the yeah, 20th couple, century. Yeah, a couple <laughs> of goofs and spoofs there. To put couple, it incredibly lightly. Yeah, almost glibly. <laughs> yeah, I might, I might edit that it's out. Okay. <laughs> it's okay, Roger. Um, but um, basically, you know, post World War II, the country's in shambles, mm -hmm. both in ter 
in every way imaginable <laughs> violence uh, economic and just general shame yeah and kind of just general pain it's also um split in half between east germany and west germany which is a key part of the story in within petzl's cinema and particularly our first film of the evening um petzl is born in 1960 so mm. give or take what 15 20 years post-war mm-hmm. give or take like yeah um but his parents still clearly were at some level there yeah. the ram yeah the ramifications you know the the ghosts of the past still loom large for in- sure indeed um and they're living in this divided world where yeah. one side is the west clearly the west one side is clearly the east you know and, at a time where they never thought they would ever come back together <laughs> yes yeah and so as we mentioned he's in film school from 1988 to 1994 of course right in that time period the wall comes down mm-hmm. to to bring berlin back together he's there in the process of this watching history with these experimental filmmakers in this kind of academic incubator too of you know what is you know what what do we do next and a little like post-war german history basically germany re-emerged on the scene in the late 60s early 70s with new german cinema mm-hmm. defined by you know, the three pillars, Werner Herzog, Rainer Werner Fassbinder, and Wim Wenders. Um, Fassbinder, in my opinion, is the only one who really dove into, like, true German culture and history and, like, criticism and made truly, like, political films. Mm-hmm. Both Wenders and Herzog were so interesting because they, like, I mean, Wenders' German films were, like, the road trilogy, but then he's, like, literally on the road. You know, he's doing paris texas he's doing wings of desire he's doing until the end of the world and right herzog's work is even more far flung mm-hmm. i mean his like major debut um on the international scene that really put him on the map is a gary of the wrath of god which yeah. clearly takes place in the jungles of peru <laughs> like, right I mean, yeah, no, like he's gone to Peru. He goes to Peru. He goes to Alaska. He goes to Antarctica. Yeah. He goes to everywhere but home, seemingly. He, he becomes, both men become these nomadic explorers, these guys who, mm-hmm. and I think this is actually an important thing. There's a big movement, of course. Tell your story. Tell you know what you know and that kind of thing. But I do think that there is a great history, especially actually of German filmmakers, of being outsiders who are able to put a really great eye on the country that they've ended up in. Mm. Um, because even going back further, consider all of the German Jewish filmmakers who had to escape during the war, the Billy Wilders of the world, the Robert Sumacs of the world, the Douglas Sirks of the world, who right. all made some of the hardest movies of the 40s in Hollywood <laughs> because <laughs> they were these German immigrants who are forced out of their country, who lost family members, and now they're in like the man, the land of dreams, and they're like, wait a second. Even this isn't that great. Like, I've seen bad. I understand yeah. what bad is. I can see what Cardinal means. I understand what hiding means. And so it's just interesting 
filmic tradition. Um, those guys were like at the height of things, but basically by the early 80s, Herzog and vendors were globe trotting, and mm -hmm. by um, was it eighty three, I believe. Um, that's off the top of my head. I'm so eighty two. Pardon me. Uh, Fast Bender's dead of a drug overdose of the like hardest existence ever imaginable. Like yeah, you know, we're, you know, dying at thirty seven years old and dropping like forty movies. It's insane to imagine. Like, Hong Sang-soo isn't that prolific. Like, that's nuts. Well, also, his movies are, like, long and really, really hard and, like, Yeah, we're stylish. also including, like, his, like, TV yeah. miniseries, like, World on a Wire, which is, like, you know, a, like a two-part TV miniseries. And he did multiple of those in addition to these films. It's crazy. Yeah, like the Berlin Alexander Plants, the 12-hour miniseries <laughs> that he did. Like... Absolutely, like, and I think yeah. like those guys kind of. Um, oh, and I should recommend it came out this year. There's this new book about Fastbender called Fastbender Thousands of Mirrors that I really recommend. It's really top of the line book um, mm. that I enjoyed reading a few months ago. Anyway, these guys all hung though like a massive shadow. This was like a French New Wave style movement. This was new Austra like Australian, the right. Peter Weir. George Miller, like yeah, these are New like Hollywood the, uh, in America. Like this was one of the big movements of the era. Totemic figures. Is that a word? I don't know. I just that is that. yeah yeah. It's and, good. And, okay, but good. I also think like a lot of those. What's interesting is like they these big art film movements. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's a time where they rarely make any dough. Like they become art films. You know, museum, yeah. museum pieces. And right. so there's usually like, as we've kind of talked about in a little bit of our other series on the show, there's always like a swing of the pendulum mm -hmm. back to like producers are just tired of losing money mm -hmm. on the whims of mad people, usually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you look at it in Hollywood, second Star Wars and Jaws arrive. The uses of the like, you know, even like movies like Fat City or you know, or Sorcerer or anything like that, like quickly those um, mm. funds disappear to make way yeah, but... to make way for the Top Guns mm -hmm. of the world. Yep, out out with Heaven's Gate, in with the uh, you know Top Gun and yeah. uh, Bruckheimer and Simpson. Yep, exactly. And, you know, we covered kind of the reverse of the pendulum thus far with this season with the Bruckheimer Simpson stuff. But, you know, there's also simultaneously to them an entire undercurrent of like, oh, here comes Spike Lee. Oh, here comes Jim Jarmusch. Oh, here comes Ang Lee. Like, yeah, there's always kind of an ebb and flow to this kind of thing. So apparently in the 1980s, like at the kind of tail end of the wall, tail end of the, let's call it the, you know, the children of the war. Mm -hmm. The children of the war's children are coming of age. We'll call mm -hmm. it that. The children of children? The children of children. I think that's a Jason Isbell song. Um, the They're coming of age. And what they're coming of age under is basically apparently like dopey commercial comedies. Was what 
mm. were being produced. There was the international scene was dead in Germany. New German cinema was over. There were no one was kind of emerging. Things yeah. had quieted down. And this kind of I think is that, like we said, it kind of goes back and forth. So hopefully in the right. states, hopefully in the states, we'll see something like that happening soon. Yeah. We'll We'll see. Probably have it on TikTok or something. And what was going on was that in Berlin, numerous young filmmakers were coming of age and they wanted to make realist political cinema. Yeah. Uh, and filmmakers like Thomas Arslan, Angela um, Schlanek, and Christian Petzold. And this group, because they love doing this, as I know, we need like a movement needs a name. And random people who barely know each other are now thrown together into yep. a into a stew, baby. Uh, and this was <laughs> called the Berlin School, is what this this group that is emerging in the late eighties, early nineties to begin the process of like a new system um, of, you know, filmmaking and new ideas and desires and kind of what they want to see. Yeah. And well, and it seems like it's also a, um, a rebuke of what was currently in the ether. Like it is a, yeah, there. Yeah. It is a, um, it is an antithesis of the light comedy of the era. And you see this with all art forms. I mean, like, basically, like, the Fleetwood Mac journeys, Aerosmiths, Bostons of the world kind of do give way to the Talking Heads, Ramones, like, that yep. the punk movement, basically. Like, there's always going to be a reaction when things get too stale, too commercial too safe mm -hmm. hopefully art is encouraged enough to continue with this kind of thing um <laughs> please <laughs> please big big fingers crossed but then involves pushing boundaries it involves it involves being dangerous and involves maybe not being so desperate to be loved at first it's a lonely road being to going your own to go with Fleetwood Mac, going your own way. <laughs> oh man, uh, did you um see that like Xavier Dolan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, I've I've actually never seen one of his movies. So I can't. Um... Yeah, he's. I've heard good things. I've heard bad things. You know, I've, he's a he's a polarizing figure for sure, which is interesting <laughs> for art at least. But I think it gets tough. You have to be if you're going to be an enfant terrible. Um, yeah, that's the thing. You gotta kind of like, although it's like you either become like a weird recluse, like Godard, or you die, like Fastbender. It's hard mm. to like turn forty and keep up that energy. <laughs> you yeah, also it's, it... like, you know, might want to buy a house. I don't know. Yeah, like, not everyone can be like Cormac McCarthy living on like a farm off of like you know tubers. <laughs> um. Art and capital are not friends. No. <laughs> and to really live the art life, yeah, you either have to discover how com how much blood you're comfortable with on your hands, mm -hmm. or be poor. Yeah. And be okay with that. 
Yeah. Your wife won't be. No. <laughs> like Cardi no, yeah. McCarthy sex yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and there is a part of me that's like, you know, had he been born 30 years later, maybe we'd see Cormac McCarthy's Space Jam. Who's to say? Well, rest I mean, yeah. Peace, of course. Rest yeah. in peace, of course. So, <laughs> Petzold makes his debut. He works, does short films, works in television, but makes his, like, kind of grand feature film debut with a film entitled The State I Am In, which is apparently a loose kind of idea about um, RAF, Bader-Meinhof kind of left-wing terrorist people who are now quote-unquote normal, but then they don't want to get discovered, which is basically also the plot to Sidney Lumet's film Running on Empty, which is about like Weatherman Underground people who are trying to do the same thing. But it's also an early showing of like Petzl taking some like an American thing mm. uh, in cinema, but transferring it over and making it distinctly like this is a German thing. Right. But utilizing kind of like these thriller elements, these kind of what happens next mm-hmm. elements to keep you going. Like there are certain, you know, like Hong Sing Su or Simon Long or like you know, Baylatar even, who on the art film side who are like purposely trying to alienate you. Yeah. Or bore you. Guess what? You're gonna watch this guy get a massage for an hour and yeah. like it. <laughs> Think about Petzl. He doesn't want to make it he's not gonna like baby you. No. But he's also gonna like put like genre elements into a get this one hundred minute movie. Yeah. And take care of business and get in and out. I mean, mm-hmm. you watched all three of the movies we're covering today. Today. Yeah. And man. And, and it wasn't go... and it wasn't hard. Dude, not at yeah. all. They go at a steady clip. Um and look, uh, they aren't hard, but it does not mean they're not like dense. They're not yeah. um you know, there's not like deep thoughts being, you know, uh thrown in front of you that you have to digest and really contemplate uh but it's you know compared to uh some other filmmakers it's definitely um at least from like a cinematic point it's like on a surface level at the very least it's kind of um it's not it's not the bar's kind of a little lower than hong sing su mm-hmm. well, uh, yeah but i mean i think his goals are different too mm-hmm. like i think he does you know, like we talked about him liking other things. We talked about him liking these Hollywood pictures. Yeah. He does want to entertain. He does want asses in the seats. He and likes the, the like he likes movies and the theatrical experience. He's not at war with movies. He's in fact celebrating them. Yeah, and that's not a bad like entertaining is good. Like that is like a noble that is a noble desire. And you can make entertainment that is uh compelling and you know, even at times difficult. Those are two things that don't have to. Doesn't hit you over the head. Yeah. What it's trying to say either. It doesn't try and dumb things down. It's like these are movies that respect the audience enough that it wants to say something, but also wants to like leave you like saying, I enjoyed that. That was yeah. good. That was an interesting movie. That was like, uh, I don't like, that wasn't like, I didn't have, wasn't in a museum. It wasn't, a, but it also wasn't a lecture. Well, it's like it's intelligent without being pretentious, which is a very difficult tightrope to walk, in my opinion. That's like absolutely, 
And I think it's um, one of his, like, one of the very cool things about his work. Um, his first three movies, State I'm In, Wolfsburg, and Jaspenster, um, I've not seen, but mm -hmm. I did discover they are at Videotech. I didn't get around to it, but I have the State I Am In upstairs right now that I rented it. So I'm pumped, but it's like streaming, not so available. DVD is mm -hmm. kind of out of print. This is why video stores rule, man. Mm. Like, they are an archive that maintains this copy of it so that, like, streaming services can pull things, DVD labels can lose the rights, but at one point it was printed and it does exist. Like, I think that's because <laughs> these, are, these are difficult movies to watch, and I think they're important movies to see because, like, for instance, Wolfsburg is his first film with Nina Haas, who became his, like, muse his mm -hmm. great actress going forward and we'll get into her a little bit in momentarily here um 2007 though he kind of hits the he i think he the 2007 is his kind of international breakthrough with mm -hmm. a film called yella um which is a unofficial remake of the 1962 american horror independent horror film carnival of souls with nina Ooh. haas in the lead really cool movie i have seen this one um she won the best actress at the berlin international film festival for this and this also began his relationship with the berlin international film festival he's not a venice guy he's not a can guy he's a he's a berlin international film festival and from what i understand the reason for this is he likes to shoot in the summer uh he edit in the fall and winter which makes it ready for the Berlin Film Festival in early spring the following year. He just times it up. And frankly, why wouldn't you want to shoot in the summer? It sounds nice. You're not in the damn snow yeah. all the time. Right? Especially like... in Germany. It feels like yeah. the summers are a little more temperate than like, you know, Texas or California, perhaps. But not like but it seems like also the winter could be kind of a dire Oh yeah. Dire chilly experience um yeah. yellow is excellent yellow is out there um it's on one of the streaming it's streamable it's out there uh his next film and that was with nina haas 2008's jericho was his next film which is a kind of a um his take on a hothouse love affair kind of like not an erotic thriller because it's not erotic necessarily, but um, <laughs> but the themes of that, like right, you know, it's a guy with a wife, and this other guy starts having an affair with her, and mm. so there's like love in the air, yeah. drama, and violence unfold, um, mm -hmm. but it's like still like has like heavy duty themes all throughout it. Um, this one did play the. Um, Venice Film Festival as nice. well. Oh, and it's um apparently loosely inspired. This is where I get at it. Loosely inspired by the postman always rings twice. Oh. So again, yeah. him going to that kind of like deeply American right. well, but burn like you know, it's um the couples are a German veteran of the Afghanistan war, a Turkish entrepreneur, and like his wife. That's crazy. I didn't even realize that because I knew, like, you know, I knew that uh, Denmark had soldiers in Afghanistan. I've mm -hmm. seen the movie Armadillo, but uh, didn't know Germans uh, had, uh, had a brother. Brother is Danish film that also deals with that. Um, oh. 
But that one also starred this Jericho stars Nina Haas as well as the wife character. It's a very, it's a, it's a, I've seen this one too. This one's a really, really solid, good movie too. Um, but I would argue where we're going to start today and where he kind of, I think really kind of really gets into his mold of what he does is 2012's Barbara. Our first movie of the day. Barbara um, is on Tubi. Did you watch yes. it on Tubi? Yes, I did okay. watch it on Tubi, which was awesome. So it's right Thank there. Thank you, Tubi. It also has a very nice Blu-ray that I have over on my shelf. Um, also saw my boy uh, David Tooney again in that commercial. Oh, yeah. Which is a good, always nice to see him. Um, this one was 2012, competed at the 62nd Berlin International Film Festival, where Christian Petzold won Best Director. It was the German entry for Best International Film at the Academy Awards, but did not make the shortlist of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, Barbara is the story of a physician, titular Barbara, played by Nina Haas, who is slowly but surely revealed that she was a high-end prestigious doctor in an East Berlin hospital, but she filed a official request to leave East Berlin, mm-hmm. was incarcerated for it, and then sent to a small town to be the doctor there, where mm-hmm. she is still monitored by the Stasi, the East, East, um, you know, the state security. Yeah. Um, if you've mm-hmm. seen like Lives of Others or something like that, you're aware of kind of scary, scary, scary dudes. And how, and how all encompassing. Yeah. <laughs> like... Which is kind of one of the themes of this movie. So one of the, one of the things Petzl does is that he is incredibly deliberate in how he gives you information. Mm-hmm. As a viewer, he he doesn't give it lightly, and he mm-hmm. slowly but methodically brings it to light. Mm. At this small hospital, she works for in a department led by chief physician Andre Risser, who is played by Ronald Zierfeld. Um, he's kind of like. amiable but i also get the impression that he's also kind of um insecure like he like about her presence yeah you know what he kind of comes off as um i feel like my initial thought about him and i don't know if this is how he ends up being by the end of the film he kind of feels like the 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 it's the classic situation of um the big fish in a small pond yeah being witness to like the bigger fish in the small pond like when someone new comes into town that's clearly outclassing him in a certain way and you could tell like the way they set him up the way he carries him he's like kind of like he kind of thinks he's like cool guy energy when we finally go to his apartment he's like so cultured he's got all his like cool books and stuff like that like yeah he's like the kind of cool guy in town but when somebody who like actually lives it shows up mm-hmm. and doesn't give him the time of day at first that like piques his interest in a lot of different ways yeah so meanwhile she's like continuously harassed by the Stasi there's a ter- terrible like cavity search scene mm-hmm. that oh, is very it. unpleasant you know and they all think you know they just don't know 
what um what the deal is with in this town and she's like very elusive she doesn't reveal anything you could mm -hmm. tell she's a good doctor but she's mm -hmm. like you don't know what like what her deal is well and but... it's like this movie is so slow to reveal things too which i kind of like it takes a little while for things to begin to like unfold and basically what we find out is that she has not stopped at all in trying to get out no she's getting money her west german lover is showing up and they're banging in the woods like all sorts <laughs> of stuff is going down um and meanwhile we're not entirely certain what side andre is on mm -hmm. oh yeah it could yeah. be you don't <laughs> see that's the thing is like you don't know if he's like part of the because he he makes allusions to it uh, on in theory on paper he is like supposed to report back to higher yeah. ups but he's got a big crush on her Ooh. like almost from the jump you could tell like mm -hmm. his insecurities are also like a very boyish crush and ron zufeld was a very interesting actor who holds his cards close to the vest but he's also kind of endearing and kind of interesting like he kind of reminds me of like a more boyish russell crow yeah yeah he's got yeah. that kind of he, he, but he's also masculine he's very see that's the thing he's yeah. very masculine he has like a bit of like a you know but he's also believable as like he has like a bit of a mama's boy energy to him almost or something or like there's like a like an insecurity that um more masculine it's, yeah it's also because like Nina Haas is like, and I think this is totally on purpose. She is Petzold's Hitchcockian ice blonde who is unknowable. But you yeah. want, like, as I'm like, as a heterosexual man, probably even a homosexual woman, you would like really be attracted to and be like, what is this person's deal if they showed up in front of you or something like that? See, her performance is so like, stoic and i love it's one of the best performances i've ever seen like it's such a like a um minimalistic initially like she refuses to budge she refuses to smile she refuses to react and when she does react like those few moments where she's meeting up with her west urban lover for those first times it's so crazy how she immediately goes like you know like like it's like a light switch goes off in her head. So she's, she's smiling and she's alive. She's such a precise, calculated yeah. actress. So and good. I think that obviously Todd Field has seen all of these movies. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's why she's the wife to Tar. In Tar. Huge. Like in... Usually. <laughs> because yes. you need an actress who can deal with Kate Blanchett. Yeah. I will say that like watching this, Tar feels Petzl desk. Like that, like Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Like it feels like, yeah, it feels like uh Todd Field definitely watched his fair share. He went on a little sojourn down the Petzl path. Well I mean it shot in Germany a lot of it. Yeah. I mean it's 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 very much there and I feel like yeah. But I also feel Todd Field is actively attempting to make a European art film. In America, 
Yeah, which is its own beautiful, crazy thing. Which is its own beautiful, crazy thing, and God bless him for it. He's a big movie head. Check out his episode of the movies that made me, the Joe Dante, Josh Olsen podcast. His tips. He's like real cool movie movie head level tips on, and it's all hardcore art films for the most part. In the bedroom, total banger. Yeah. Meanwhile, Barbara is revealing herself to be a very caring open-hearted physician yeah to to a series of kids troubled Mm -hmm. kids basically that she's trying to and what all of this leads to is that we know she has this like escape planned we don't Mm -hmm. exactly know how it's going to work or what's going to go down Mm -hmm. meanwhile she is slowly but surely kind of letting herself in and we're kind of we're skimming the surface of all the details here. This is a much more nuanced and depth filled. Mm-hmm. Just watch the movie, folks. We're spoiling it, but watch the movie too. Even yeah. with spoilers, I feel like you'll still get so much out of it. Um, we're gonna spoil the next movie too, which actually has a total banger of the ending. So you might want to skip. Here, I'll say this. <laughs> I'll say this in the. I'll say this in the notes. Uh, but like. Watch the movies, then listen to this episode. Yeah. Do do yourself a favor. Watch maybe these. maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but maybe more so than usual. It would be helpful. Like enjoy the movies. Yeah. But even with spoilers, I think you will still enjoy them. But oh yeah, but yeah. The the pleasure for all three of them, there are great pleasures in being surprised. God, yeah, it's yeah, they're a treat because like especially with like Barbara. I'll say this. I purposefully did not really look that much up. I kind of just wanted to be and having things like slowly unfold it was a a pleasure and a downer. Huge fucking like these movies, I will say, are grim as shit. They are like not like this is not this is like oh these are wild movies to watch post fourth of July for sure. Like it is like uh but like you know, they're mature and they treat you seriously. And I truly like love, like, I don't know. I like being respected by the filmmaker. It, it, you get the sense that the filmmaker is not um, spell. He's not spelling anything out for you in a way that makes you feel like he thinks you're a dumbass, which mm-hmm. I appreciate because you get it, that a lot nowadays, unfortunately. I know. And the <laughs> pleasures of a banger, what happens next kind of movie mm-hmm. that treats you like an adult. Yeah, is a really like it's among the most pleasurable th- things yeah. you could feel as a as a film watcher. Like, um, so basically, the day of like planning her escape, she goes to Doctor Riser Andre's house, and he like basically kind of woos her. Yeah, and he's kind of charming, and you're like, and he kisses her, and you're like, what? Now what? <laughs> yeah. yeah well and then on top of that too you think about like you know you think about her motives for leaving like does she love this west german official it or seems she... like it initially but then it's like does she or does she just want to leave does she just not because this is like Gre- east germany is um well and i think he does a great job too yeah, east it's, germany a, so, it's is... a soft police state it's yeah, a hundred percent. Well, and what's beautiful about it is it's very like banality of evil. Like you watch it and on its face, it doesn't seem too bad. Like, mm-hmm. you know, less stuff obviously than uh, the West side and, um, and uh, not like, you know, 
the people seem pleasant enough, but then like the deeper you get into it, when you get to the police state element, it's mm-hmm. yeah, you want to leave. You make and it makes sense. The feelings that through all three of these movies, who can you trust? Who? What are yes. people's actual motivations? So with Doctor Andre, is he in, has he fallen in love mm-hmm. with Barbara, or is he like the great informant? Mm. Which I feel up until this last scene, at the where he's cooking, yeah, with her. I don't know. I'm like, honestly, and, and I guess because I've seen these movies before and I've seen Phoenix, I don't know how much I trust Ronald Zierfeld. <laughs> like, um, yeah, he's kind of a stinker. <laughs> he is like, I don't know. I can't. I can't. He's hard to. He's hard to place. And there's so many. Well, and you look too, like, you know, who he's helping. Uh, the state of like you know what even like the situation around why he's in uh yeah. uh where he's at is murky and because he's sad. yeah he's got his own history what's being held over him by others who are all these people who are just kind of walking around kind of looking at everyone like there's <laughs> all of these elements are building to this ending yeah it- it's like every day seems like you're playing human life chess and it sucks. It just yeah. it's... And so one of the young people that Barbara has treated, Stella, has been oh. thrown in this like this youth detention program, which looks terrible. It looks like yeah. it's like looks like that scene in Monty Python Holy Girl where there's like slapping mud <laughs> in different piles of mud. Just <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is just they're in the mud zone. It is not cool. Yeah. <laughs> she escapes and shows up at Barbara's house and mm-hmm. it happens to be the night that Barbara's going to leave by yeah. boat from this beach. They this boat like like this fucking rowboat like slowly walks up and basically what it's revealed is that like it only fits one. Yeah. It's it's straight up just a guy in like a full body wetsuit. And he's like, I can't take both of you. Yeah. And so Barbara tells Stella to go. So Barbara's entire escape plan is like done. And Barbara just kind of like stares off dead eyed into the ocean and then returns to the hospital, takes a seat across from Riser, who we, who has been revealed. He does inform to the Stasi. She's stuck. He's a snitch. They look at each other. And they totally understand each other. They get it. They get it. They're stuck in East Germany, and that's that, folks. Cut to black. Yeah, it is. Oh, what an ending. What a great... I love it. I yeah. love it. I love how just, like... <laughs> I can't believe I'm, I just love how sad and fucked everything is. And, like, it just said, you know... And how beautiful it is that he she gives her, like you know, her one her golden ticket. Yeah, so many golden tickets in this movie. This movie is a uh, the, the world of Kristen Petzold is uh, is a world of you know golden tickets and what you will do to get them and who ultimately should get them. Yeah, if there even is someone who should get them ultimately, and even like, if they're and are they real? 
Yeah, to begin that's with. true. And what is on the other side of it to begin with? Do the golden tickets just turn into dust in your hands? Um, Who fucking yeah, knows? Yeah, even when you think yeah. it's all gonna go well, your boat's gonna explode. We'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> yeah, I I will say, like, man, there is a part of me. I I want to see, I I I want to see like the sequel. I want to see what Stella is doing in Denmark if she yeah. even made it. Like, how does that turn? Like, that's the beautiful thing about this movie is like. You know, even her, you're like, I hope she's okay. I hope, yeah, like, uh, well, and he, yeah, outside of like the Stasi officers, like, he's not like, he is sensitive to Reeser. Like, that's what makes you wonder what Reeser is Reeser a goodie or a baddie? We don't even know. Mm-hmm. And Barbara, what's her deal? We're not totally certain. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's a truly, it's a really, really compelling movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as we should note, 105 minutes long. Oh, I know. It takes care of business, baby. It, yeah, and it, it's 105 minutes without sacrificing plot, without sacrificing character. No, it's everything. All everything developed. is there. It's tight as hell. Yeah. Uh, we should note it can be so done. This, this is uh, directed by Christian Petzl, written by Christian Petzl, and Harun Faraki, um, key collaborator on this film, Hans Fromm cinematography who shot all of the movies we're watching today Um, and a key element to the creation of the kind of petzold style and look which is a unshowy but slick modernism yeah it's um it's unshowy without falling into the pitfalls of uh, pseudo realism like it doesn't do the um like every shaky cam ever. ever every shot is composed Mm-hmm. completely composed and completely deliberate but it isn't like he doesn't have that he's not applying the american swagger of like big yeah. big camera moves and that kind of thing like he's just looking for the right camera move yeah which is you know i think great leads to great looking films in particular i think the third film of the day is the best looking movie of the group but um mm, we'll get there yeah. barbara has a 93 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the critical consensus reads, smart, solidly crafted, and thoroughly gripping, Barbara offers a deliberately paced, subtly powerful character study. Uh, critics pick Manola Daris of the New York Times said of the film, Barbara is a film about the old Germany from one of the best directors working in the new, Christian Petzold. For more than a decade, Mr. Petzold has been making his mark on the international scene with smart, tense films that resemble psychological thrillers, but are distinguished by their strange story turns, moral thorns, visual beauty, and filmmaking intelligence. One of our most astute critics in the United States at working at the New York Times. Oh, yeah. Like we said, it just most critics really liked it. He's making his way, winning awards on the scene, and he's got in his pocket like an actress who is one of the great actresses in the entire world. Yeah, it's uh, it's insane that she doesn't have a um, a, a larger uh, international footprint. Like, uh, yeah, put her in stuff, America. Yeah, put her Let's in stuff, it. America. She's done some. She'll do more. Yeah. And obviously, Tar was a huge deal. She was probably very, very close to being nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Oh, yeah. For that. Um, Petzold, though, what I also like about him is that... Um, He's, I think he's found that middle ground in length between his movies where he's not bum-rushing 
audiences in a Hong Sang Soo kind of sense, but he's not like a Paul Thomas Anderson every six years type guy or something like that. Yeah. Well, and it's like, well, and I think what I like about it too is um, it, it adds the unpretentiousness of his oeuvre. Like, it's not like um, he doesn't turn his uh, film releases into an event. And sometimes that's fine. Like, you know, I love these huge epics made by great filmmakers, but it's also nice to have some filmmakers that are like, you know, churning out steady works every couple of years. I think, like, I think a strong, steady oeuvre is really impressive. Like two okay. every two to three year window, just putting out another like rock solid movie that continues to build on your like base, plays festivals. Mm-hmm. You know, can't all be killers of the flower moon. Oh yeah. Like, just like can't do it. I mean, but not many people can walk around with the weight of killers of the flower moon on their shoulders. I like think yeah, it drives... too. It would yeah, drive for every me. Yeah, for every Killers of the Flavaloon, I don't even know what I was trying to say there. For for every Killers of the Flower Moon, you get like a, you know, a Babylon scenario where it's not necessarily like it's tough. It's a hard transition. It's a. I mean, I think um, it's nothing wrong with a solid double or triple and occasional home run, but sometimes you do like it's an American thing, I think, in particular to go for the grand slam. I'm going to (laughs) make I'm going to make the greatest movie ever made. That's the thing. We we have that bug. so awesome i mean it leads to things like sorcerer yeah it leads to things like you know once upon a time in hollywood it leads heaven's to things gate. like have or heaven's gate you know but it's like you know you hear these stories like yeah t- they shared it on the tarantino podcast it was like de palma makes dress to he's like making dress to kill hmm. and he's like i'm doing it man i got the right script i'm making all the moves it's all happening on a break, he goes down to the New York for opening weekend to a New York movie theater to see Raging Bull. And he was practically screaming, fuck you, Marty. Because <laughs> he's just like, oh, shit. Like, like there, he's like, yeah, God, it but sucks I'm being sure the, the, every, yeah. everyone from Paul Thomas Anderson's generation, that first 10 minutes of There Will Be Blood, they were like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, for sure. I think yeah. you know that P.T. Anderson went to see No Country for Old Men and was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he goes to see like Inglorious Bastards the year before. He's like, Shit. You know, like <laughs> well, fuck me. <laughs> yeah. Or a couple years later. But, you know, but it's like that's and I think that in America, because it's competition based, going back to capital, mm-hmm. you know, in Germany, in France, in Italy, yeah, in Spain, they're state funded <laughs> these yeah. movies so yeah. you can you don't have to try and hit a grand slam every time out mm-hmm. you know i mean like i was thinking about like even chris nolan who's made a bunch of grand slams like right now on july 6th when we're recording this like he's like got what three weeks Tell Oppenheimer, which no one is, no one knows anything about. No, no one has seen it had, anything beyond the trailer for. It, it and everyone been, it, is saying it's going to be the like could possibly be the greatest movie ever made. That's a lot. It, That's a lot to do. Like if, if you told me that they actually let a nuke off, I would believe you. Yeah, if I they know. told me that like if you told me that Christopher Nolan got a dirty bomb off of the black market. That's a lot, <laughs> man. That's off. like yeah. it's. You gotta have a very, very certain mindset to be able to like 
can't deal with that like you know pressure hitting you nonstop, oh yeah and then thinking you can totally pull it off Damn. it's amazing i love it um it's good it's good but the other's good too we need we need both we need like you need all both of it to yeah we need, we need all of it the whole yeah. spectrum healthy ecosystem you need Healthy. elephants, but you also need, you know, tapirs and uh, marmots. Mm -hmm. And also quiet, <laughs> mm -hmm. quiet movies that hit you like a Mack truck. Ooh. Like, here's a transition for you, like 2014's Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Uh, perhaps the most powerful punch out of the three films. Um... <laughs> There's some insane. There is um our boy, Ronald. His facial expressions. He has this facial expression at the end of this movie that is so. It's just like I'm just I'm gonna. It's in my head for rent free for the rest of my life. It's one of the great facial expressions. His like, oh no, it's a big deal. It's, it's a big huge. deal. It's huge. Um, Barbara was a nice, nice success on the international mm -hmm. scene. 2014 Phoenix is kind of, you know, it's in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, it's. It's kind of, I think it's safe to say his kind of signature movie. It's been canonized yeah. in a yeah. respect. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to date, it's his final collaboration with Nina Haas. Today, it's his final collaboration with Ronald Zerfield, both back from Barbara to play the leads in Fe in Phoenix. Uh, screenplay by Petzold and Faraki. Again, cinematography by Hans Fromm. Uh, should be known as Stefan will compose the scores to all of mm. these movies that we're watching today in particular i love the transit score i really love the transit score um mm. phoenix is based on a novel called the return from the ashes by hubert montheat and this is interesting um this is an older novel mm -hmm. uh 1961 french detective novel and it's set in france this novel Mm -hmm. um it was freely adapted in 1965 by jay lee thompson who of course um you know interesting director one of the one of the best to do it if you ask me yeah for sure he's a good he's, uh, a, he's like yeah he's he's around yeah directed death wish for the crackdown among other films <laughs> yes <laughs> cinema Murphy's Don Law. gave the thumbs up for all you uh, movie heads out there. Murphy's Law and a couple of the more um preferred it <laughs> preferred films. Is Murphy's made. Law is that like a, a uh, is that like a cop who named Murphy? Uh yeah, that's a Bronson. <laughs> that's a Bronson one, and okay, it has a great good. theme song that goes Murphy's Law. Um, but two like all time bangers. Ten to Midnight mm. with Charles Bronson, one of the most twisted, perverted movies ever. And <laughs> find his final film, which Quentin Tarantino has declared like the greatest final film ever made from a director in GTA Forbidden Subjects. <laughs> they have a video, a video on the wall over there. Uh, uh, we should do Not a Bronson for... Tom. Yeah. We should Bronson. A Bronson Thompson perversion hour. We should yeah, do it. Bronson yeah. Thompson perversion hour. But he also directed things like Guns of Navarone in the original Cape Fear. Fascinating director. He did an adaptation of this called Return from the Ashes that I'm dying to see. And I almost bought on Blu-ray sight on scene the other day because I wanted to see it so bad. Um, this adaptation, though, Petzl takes the basics of the story and changes the setting 
to be set in Berlin shortly oh, yeah. after shortly after the German surrender at the end of World War II. Yeah. Um they eliminate tons of the book and basically take kind of the thrillerish aspect of the book, which is also deeply vertigo. The mm -hmm. the Hitchcock's vertigo, if you ask me. Mm. So basic storyline. Nina Haas plays Nellie Lentz, a former cabaret singer and Holocaust survivor, who we meet her at the beginning of the movie being transported from Switzerland back to Berlin, where it's revealed she was shot in the face and she's mm. wearing like full bandages around her mm -hmm. face. She's being transported by her friend Lenny, or Lena, pardon me, Lena, um, who wants to get her plastic surgery and then for them to move to um, Palestine mm -hmm. upon collecting um, the money that is owed to Nellie because all of her family was killed in the war. Um, obviously, Nellie is both physically and internally shattered and completely haunted. Yeah. Um, she asks to the plastic surgeon to look exactly like she did before. Mm -hmm. The plastic surgeon says they can't recreate her old face completely, and she is disappointed in the results. Meanwhile, we learn that Nellie had a husband, Johnny, who may have been the person who betrayed her to the Nazis. Um, Nellie, on the surface, is like, I don't believe this at all. One night wandering through war-torn Berlin, she arrives at a nightclub called Titular Phoenix. Yeah, bathed in red light, yeah. demonic red light. And discovers that Johnny's working there. He used to be like her accompanist when he had her mm -hmm. cabaret shows. Now he's like a busboy. Yeah, like a barback. It's really depressing. Yeah. It's grim because it's like he's, you know, he hasn't gotten any younger since Barbara. It's yeah. yeah and he's played by, side. obviously played by Ronald, Ronald Zerfield. Mm -hmm. um, Johnny does not recognize her. But then he sees her and he's like, you know what though? You don't you're not her. You, but you kinda look like my dead wife. Oh god. So here's something what we can do. I will dress you up and teach you to be her in order to score that inheritance money for both of us. Very shifty. Yeah. Um, behavior. Lena is um rightfully Yeah. Um concerned. Yeah, and about Nelly. Uh, perturbed. <laughs> perturbed. And this goes to show another aspect of the precise nature of Nina Haas's performances is that we don't know what her end game is. Yeah. What her actual even desire is in mm -hmm doing this insane operation. Mm -hmm. Does she really want to get back with Johnny? Yeah. And just is in love with him. Is she trying to reclaim a, a past that is long since been foisted from her? Mm. Or on the more base level, is this a revenge movie? Oh. And is this going to end crazy? <laughs> you know, crazy. 
Yeah, uh, Looney Tunes. Crazy. We don't know. And she keeps holding it close to us. She keeps defending her position. She moves in with him. He. We go through all these scenes where he's like telling her nonstop instructing her how to like enter a room and how to like carry things and it's really like you're like this guy sucks oh and it's and she it well and it's uh, her uh, uh um her uh what is the word i'm looking for her just uh, her um just willingness to appease him yeah is sucks it is like so grim and it's so the whole situation just and you feels don't know awful because and insane. when you're watching these midsection scenes, you're like, oh, that's so sad that she's like so obsessed with this asshole. Yeah. That she's like willing to do this. Mm-hmm. And Petzl kind of like drags you down this road where yeah. you really truly think it's like this like desperate woman who's like is clinging to whatever she felt before the war now mm-hmm. that she's been annihilated by the war. And then we get. After spending days with him, she returns to the apartment that she shared with Lena, only discovered Lena has committed suicide. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you feel that right here. Yeah. It's like it, your heart just totally yeah. sinks. And it come it comes out of nowhere. Like, you know, just like the, the maid comes in and drops this bomb. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you didn't hear? Yeah. Oh, and she like has like the maid to her eyes are bloodshot. Oh, man. Yeah. And she left a note for Nellie. With full evidence that Johnny divorced her like days after the Nazis picked her up, that he was basically the one who like ratted her out, mm-hmm. and that he's definitely using her under the guise of the name Esther mm-hmm. to get this dough. Yeah, that and this is of course blood money because this is based on this is like reparations basically for all of her relatives who died. Hundred percent. Well, and then on top of that too, uh, he's. I think he like as like salt in the wound. I think he said, "Yeah, you'll get like twenty thousand dollars." Which, get me wrong, was probably a lot of money back then, but still doesn't feel like the tip of the ice. Like she, there was a significant amount of wealth that seems to be coming her way. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So she continues to go along with it. They take her to a train station. She gets off the train, and she is now Nellie once again. Meets up with Johnny. I can't believe it. It's so mm-hmm. beautiful. They go and visit their friends who all have distinct Nazis, and we got away with it vibes. Yeah, except one guy. <laughs> yeah, but they're they're like the way Petzl shoots them is like this like weird like oh. grotesque chorus. It's un it's unnerving. It's uh yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, it's so grim. And it's like and it's like she has to do this like dance and it they're trying to be all water under the bridge. It is so her and Johnny's like theme song that they did, they're like their key song and their cabaret act, it's kind of hung over this movie, is the Kurt Vile song, um not Kurt Vile, not 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 the alternative rock star, but the Kurt uh, Vile, W E I L. I was like, this, not V I L E, not V I L E. It's like a Back to the Future situation. Not anachronistic or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Is this is this song called Speak Low? And mm-hmm. it's played on vinyl throughout. It's kind of haunted the movie. Mm-hmm. 
all of their friends are like, Johnny, Nelly, why don't you play us a song? Speak low. Also, it should be noted that earlier in the movie, to get it right, Johnny handed her like a knife to carve up her arm to make it look like she had carved away her um, concentration mm -hmm. camp tattoo. God, yeah, crazy that he would. And this guy sucks. It is yeah. just unreal. And he's just, just, to a... get, just to get it right. Yeah. Um. So they start playing their song, and I Patrick like texted me like with 20 minutes to go in this movie. He was like, wow, this movie is like wild. I like kind of really grim. And I was like, oh, just wait for the final moment of this movie, which ties this entire movie together. As she's singing, she rests her arm on the piano just enough in her short sleeve shirt to reveal her very, very real concentration camp tattoo. To which Johnny, who is no dummy, he might be an asshole, but he's not a dummy. Yep. Immediately recognizes this is my wife, and I am caught, and this is not good. And the look on Ronald Sufield's face, as Patrick was describing, is a masterclass. In expressing all of those emotions, like the I, I don't know if I've ever seen someone with the "I've been caught" look as yeah. well as this guy puts out. It is just like the Platonic ideal of like it's like cotton the cookie jar. It's I'm fucked. It's yeah. uh, I'm sorry. It's like all these oh, mixed like, emotions. Yeah, it's like yes. Yeah. I don't know what Petzl told him. Yeah, as a director, that this guy isn't. Absolutely excellent actor. If he, I don't know what his English is like, but he should be in. He should, yeah. he should be hunting Ethan Hunt in a Mission Possible movie. Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, and it's just like the look is just like it is a man being caught at his lowest and worst. Yeah, and it's also a role, a recognition yeah. of his guilt and his shame, mm -hmm. and he senses his like his shame and guilt yeah. and everything like that. It's one of the great endings. Mm -hmm. in recent movies and she I finishes would... this song and just walks out of the, the house and that's yeah the every all, all the friends perplexed they're yeah. like you know that was weird or like because they think them... it's because they think it's her yeah because <laughs> it is her because it is her it's yeah. <laughs> such a good what a movie oh man yeah and it's like it's so crazy and so like almost absurd the story and the fact that they pull it off in this grounded believable way mm -hmm. you know hats off to you but again it's this like in other art films they don't put this genre element of like is she going to get caught is she get, what what's going to happen when the reveal actually goes down is this a revenge movie is it going to get violent is it um mm -hmm. is it actually like a really like dark romance like all of these things are like this movie's a hundred minutes long and these are circling through your head for let's call it 98 minutes yeah just, it's it's just it's there's so much that you um it's crazy how much you're able to digest in such a short amount of time because it is like there's so many layers involved there's a person pretending to be someone else that's having to pretend to be herself and the yeah. person who she just married to uh isn't like just the can't the pick level up of, on it yeah 
like the level of mind games that occur are um it's overwhelming it's crazy the um phoenix is a 98% on rotten tomatoes deserved Critical consensus, tense, complex, drenched in atmosphere, Phoenix is a well-acted, smartly graphic war drama that finds writer-director Christian Petzold working at peak power. The AV Club's A.A. Dowd described Phoenix as a noir psychodrama for the ages, and Nina Haas as an actress of old-school glamour and modern nuance. Petzold has made an expertly turned, tuned genre piece, one whose pulpiness, guns, Face changes, a dagger laced night, a danger laced nightlife doesn't conflict with its more serious aims, and whose real world resonance doesn't compromise its dramatic economy. No scene is unnecessary, no shot is wasted. Um, it ranked number 26 on the AV Club's best 100 best films of the 2010s, number six in Time Magazine's top 10 films of the decade. Uh, National Border Review named it one of the top five international films of 2015. Um, this is a modern classic. Yeah. If you well, ask me. And, it, and it's just, I think, uh, yeah, economy of storytelling. I think someone, I think, I, I don't, I can't remember which uh, critic you said yeah. that brought that up, but like, it is just like, it's so funny in an era when the best directors are um, often, you know, uh, encouraged to be, you know, um, a little decadent, a little, uh, you know, self-indulgent and, uh, Hey, and we're people doing it as well. Like there's no, no, uh, we don't hate that necessarily, but no. it is nice to see like someone who can show restraint and just create like this perfect slice of cinema. That is no more like everything feels like it, uh, adds and contributes towards, uh, the ending that the director crafts it's great yeah and i think yeah i think you're absolutely right that there is a um there's a joy in real wild expressions like mm -hmm. heaven's gate or um what we're expecting from killers of the flower moon or the irishman oh, yeah. or anything like that but i think there really is a there is a lost art in making a very serious movie that's also economic and kind of takes care yeah. of business like it just i think that people kind of have come to believe that good movies and serious movies have to be epics <laughs> and i think epic is a flexible word in this yeah. regard here's my hot fucking take if american cinema if fucking paramount or universal whatever started churning out american versions of these sort of films just like thinking, not even thinking man cinema, but just like good thrillers that are like 90 to 110 minutes long that are like, you know, well directed and well acted. I think people would go back to theaters a little bit. I don't know. I think like I think I think like there'd be I, th I think I'd rather see 10 of these made than one The Flash and I have a feeling that if you made 10 films comparable for this for like whatever, like 20 million or $40 million or whatever, you know, one of them is going to be a fucking hit. I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, it's going to happen. One, and <laughs> one of them will be like an all timer. Yes. A hundred percent. And then you'll but have like is, six this movies is, that are pretty good. <laughs> this is what they used to do back when, I mean, and, but you know, this is a, the, his films are a prime example of like, he's a craftsman. Like he respects the craft 
of storytelling and filmmaking and yeah. comes at it in a very mature route it is not willy-nilly it is not we'll fix it in post it's let's get it right mm-hmm. with yeah, the right cause... tools and really like sharpen those edges on it mm-hmm. good enough doesn't exist in his world yeah it's not like don't worry we'll edit out the mustache later none of that mm-hmm. shit yeah <laughs> Or don't worry, like we'll make up for it at international sales. I think that yeah, you, you should true. take some pride in trying to make. And I know there's no offense. Like I actually think like all the directors of like the movies we've kind of ripped, given, given a piece, taken a piece out of like a uh, the the big blockbusters or whatever. All the directors, all the writers, all the actors, they're all they are all trying. It's hard to it's really hard mm-hmm. to make a movie, but I think like due to the degradation, the contentification by the executives of this stuff, mm-hmm. like making things. We've talked about this so often on the show. Making things, making feel human and made, making something from the heart. It's like all we have is people. Yes, like that should be the most important craft outside of like building families and friend groups. That you can do, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's the most noble thing you could do. Is art to be is like, what makes us human. Yeah, exactly. It's a differentiator, big yeah. one. Yeah, it's a big different, and it should not be degraded. It should not be downplayed mm-hmm. just because it does not fit in within capital, or does not provide you with the instant gratification of minor fame. Yeah, we we are heading towards, especially in this uh, in a world where AI is looming large and tech, uh, big tech is putting its nasty little claws into entered the world of entertainment, entrenching itself in that world. We are heading towards a sloppification, a commodification, a McDonald'sification (laughs) of art, and we gotta make. We're not all the way there already. Yeah. You know. Oh, we're so close. We we are the you know, and it's then look, there's still stuff on the fringes. Thank goodness, there are still people fighting the good fight, and there's still people even within the system making wonderful work. But man, like we gotta we gotta change the dial because like that's what we value. It's not, yeah. and I think you know you've talked about it. Yeah, a lot of people we meet mm-hmm. here in Hollyweird. Yeah, their goals are not to be the next Brando or the next Al Pacino or the next Meryl Streep, Mm-mm. you know, they're more superficial goals. Yeah. And like we, but we also talked about earlier, kind of the lonely road. Like if you are trying to make like a purely artistic statement, if you are trying to like hone your craft, there's not a lot of gratification at first mm-hmm. for that. You are it, working in the dark basically and it's nigh impossible like if you're like you know especially if you're living in a place like la where rent is insane and you know if you want to like have goodbye to having a house and kids you know what i mean it's it's like you either live here in new york where all of the resources are there all of the talent is there but you can't afford to live there or you live somewhere else that you can afford to live. You can afford to have a family, have a for to have all those fulfilling things, but the resources, the talent mm-hmm. and the network is inexistent. Yeah. You have to make your own. Yeah. You have to like build your community and which is possible. And it's actually very inspiring. You hear stories 
you know, of all over I the think, country with this. Kind yeah, of thing I think happening. about was it like Giuseppe Andrews or whatever that one guy who made like films and trailer charts in uh, Baltimore. Could, He's like an insane yeah, example. You could take it all the way there. There's wonder, you know, and I think the only issue is that there used to be like an outlet for regional filmmaking. Mm-hmm. That doesn't exist in the same way anymore. Rick yeah. Linklater, Rick Linklater in the late eighties could put together that group of Austin weirdos to make a slacker. Or you can go into like the world of like genre and horror. I've got I'm looking at a box set right here, uh the William Griffey box set. He came from the swamp about an exploitation filmmaker from Florida. I have another one, uh Weird Wisconsin, the Bill Rebane story, which is about this guy in Wisconsin. Who Which made like incredible. alien movies or whatever, like movies about aliens and monsters and or, stuff, or like the guy, who's that like Motern Media or whatever, yeah. like that. That's the big oh, that's a great, right now. That, but that's that the guy's a hero too. Yeah, I've oh, never, he even, see, I've never even seen one of his movies, but I admire him completely because if you're confident enough and you can put together people who are confident in you, mm-hmm. you could actually make some stuff, and it might be lonely at first. But there is a world out there that could that will find you. Yeah. You just have to have hope and you have to put all of your heart and soul into it. You can't be a fucking phony about it. No. Anyway. That was a soapbox yeah. if there oh, was. Also one. oh no worry. Hey, a soapbox worth standing and shouting from. And I also want to say too, just very quickly, I wanna uh say that uh I saw Phoenix on Tubi and I watched oh, yeah. Bar- Thank you. And, and I watched Barbara on canopy actually okay. enough the the library uh streaming which is a great man if you have a library card get a sign up for canopy what are you doing you could watch every frederick weissman documentary yeah. on it. it it fucking whips canopy rules talk about another guy who works in his own realm and yeah. like who knows i mean who knows where he stands financially but at the same time the guy's you know legend yeah oh yeah easily um you know, maybe like the best documentarian living, uh, you know, with the exception of maybe like Werner Herzog in some respects. There's, and But I mean, he's yeah, in that in that conversation. Oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, Phoenix is in the Criterion Collection. Phoenix is on Tubi. Phoenix is on the Criterion channel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched my Criterion Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Of How, it, do you, they, for, how do you, Phoenix? How do you, Phoenix? Great special features on there, too. Oh, cool. Um. So, 2014, 2018, uh, Petzold begins work on his next projects. Now, it should be noted, uh, his mentor and co-writer, as previously mentioned, Harun Faraki, died in 2014 unexpectedly, which I would imagine, and I believe he's mentioned it before, um, hangs over transit, his Mm. 2018 picture. I think that the the dead writer in there I've never heard this from anyone else but it strikes me having read some of this that there's elements there Mm -hmm. about taking over the personality working on your own that kind of thing it's all All there Um, but he did a little bit of TV as well he directed some German TV between Phoenix and Transit but 2018, I think Transit is his first, like, especially post-Phoenix, on the international scene, I think it's his first, like, what's this guy going to do next? This is like, uh, you know, I want to know. And I think, for me at least, based on his previous films, this is his first film in, like, five 
without Nina Haas in the cast. He's gone with a completely different cast. Yeah. This film. And I think this film is his most like out there movie. Yeah. Comparably to these other ones. There are people who claim this movie is a sci-fi movie. Yeah, that is like a wild interpretation. It's an interesting the um the clash of story and locale and the aesthetics the locale maintains is very fascinating and a little disorienting at first for sure. So this is based on a 1944 novel by Anna Seegers, uh, also called Transit. Um, I have a copy of the book. I haven't. I've been. I've been dying to read it actually, but. This is adapted to, quote-unquote, the present. Um, everything that happens in this movie feels like like 1942 Germany. Yeah. But it takes place in modern-day Marseille. Yeah, Mar- modern modern day with quotations because like I feel like do you do you ever see a cell phone for example? But you see flat screen TVs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And you see modern cars. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> and, and like, I graffiti. dig it. Yeah, I dig it because it's like this is like he's purposely making you feel as off kilter as these refugees. Right. It's like, yeah, it was like, it it took me half an hour. I feel like this was the one of his films that it took me the the longest to acclimate or kind of to figure out, like, what was, like, the deal, if that makes sense. Or I don't don't know. Should we know this one's on Prime? Yes, that's how I watched it. Currently. Also, I I watched my Blu-ray copy of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Nice Blu-ray. Got a good special features. Great booklet of interviews and comments and that sort of thing. I love a good booklet. I love a good booklet too. Also this movie, 101 minutes. Bravo. Once again, Ooh. Ooh. this uh, was um, in the Berlin international film festivals where it had its debut. This is the story of Georg, a German political refugee who when we meet him is in a seemingly very dangerous Paris, France. Yeah. And he, a guy basically comes up to him, hey, I need you to deliver some letters. Mm-hmm. The guy's immediately arrested. Georg barely, barely escapes. Yeah. After like a lady like points out like to like people yeah. on the street are complicit in the yeah. dangerous. It's not just the cops. And his friends in the lineup. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the letter is supposed to be delivered to a famous writer named Franz Weidel. Mm-hmm. He arrives at Weidel's Paris hotel room to discover a bloodbath. Why Weidel, he has found, has killed himself. Mm-hmm. He, Georg, in a rush, takes the final manuscript of the author and his passport identity documents including a piece that promises him transit to mexico also and one of the letter and it's known that this white owl guy has a wife somewhere Mm -hmm. in the universe um on so he's like i gotta get to marseille so i can get out of here (laughs) yeah well with whatever 
this looming tidal wave oh, of fascism that seems to be taking over all of Europe. Yeah, um, it's so impen- the doom is palpable in the air. Yeah. You can just it's so things just truly feel dire. Yes. So he goes with a guy named Heinz who is not doing well. Yeah, my buddy is down one foot, I think. Yeah, down one foot via tra- via train to Marseille. Heinz dies en route. But and so Georg not only has got all this uh, one dead guy's stuff, he mm-hmm. has to go track down Heinz's wife and son who are living illegally in Marseille and kind of tell them the news. Mm-hmm. He goes there to discover Heinz's wife Melissa um is uh deaf and mute. Mm-hmm. Um and Sundris is really seems to be desperate for a father. Asthmatic Sundris is desperate for a father figure. Oh yeah. Um Georg befriends Driss over soccer and song in very sensitive sweet sequences. Yeah, it's very nice. And like um and it's like uh yeah. It's nice. It's like a nice. It's a nice. It's a nice respite from the dire situation that's surrounding them all. Absolutely. So, um, Georg attempts to simultaneously. He goes to the Mexican consulate to return Vidal's papers to the consulate, where the consulate immediately claims he is Vidal. And Georg is a. It's hard to tell how shifty of a guy he is. Mm-hmm. I think he's just trying to survive. I, I, yeah, I think it's like on the shifty scale, he's definitely not a, he's not a Johnny, no. but it's, yeah, but I can see, but it's, uh, it's but rough. It, it, it's yeah. In this world, in the penciled mm-hmm. world, opportunities are fleeting. You, and you better, even if it's on the line. Yeah. Probably pursue. You feel like a rat on a sinking ship, and if you want to survive, you're gonna to have to bite off a few tails. It Indeed. sucks. That's like the that is the those are the these are the world sandcastles we're having to navigate around. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Mexican consulate, Georg uh, is given trans given the final transit visas for himself mm-hmm. and Vidal's wife Marie. He learns Marie had left Fidel, but wishes to reunite with him and has been waiting in Marseille so they can yeah. flee together. Simultaneously, upon his arrival in town, Georg has been bumped into or had weird meetings or like just kind of passings with a beautiful young woman who we don't know what her deal yeah. is, but she's around and we've she seen her and... around the film like a specter. And she's memorable, so yeah. he hasn't forgotten her. We haven't forgotten her Mm-mm. as audience members. Um, then Driss, the young boy, has a massive asthma attack, and Georg is charged with finding a doctor. Mm-hmm. He finds another refugee doctor named Richard to take care of the boy and discover the doctor has a mistress who is the woman from town, and her name is Marie. Is mm-hmm. she Vito's wife? I just raised my hands in there. I don't know. Mm. Maybe. Who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> um, <laughs> Richard has his own transit visa. 
and he, he doesn't want to leave Marie because he's in love with her, despite the fact she, we don't know what her intentions are at all. Yeah. Um, they're going to give up the spot to Richard. And while Richard is going to leave, Georg and Marie pretty quickly fall into a passionate mm-hmm. romance. Is it just Georg falling for her? I don't know. Hard to say. Mm-hmm. He does not know whether to tell her about her husband. He's very conflicted by the entire thing, but his the heart is pounding for this woman. Um, yeah. Simultaneously to that, he goes to visit Melissa and Driss and discovers that they have bailed and they're gone. And they are trying to go over the Pyrenees Mountains Ooh. on foot, um, which is a dangerous, we're told, and I believe it. Yeah, from the, from the in the logic within the logic of the movie, seems hard. Yeah, especially if it's like one of the people trying to do it as a little child. That's like an asthma- a highly asthmatic little child. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a death sentence. It's grim. We're also introduced to the consulates and all these places where they're trying to get these transit yeah. letters. Uh, this series of tra- more and more tragic. <laughs> yeah, Kafkaesque, you know, Kafkaesque just- indeed bureaucratic nightmare you have all these the, these poor desperate people that are trying to get like to these far-flung places like caracas and montevideo and, they and each... this movie was compared to um casablanca as written by kafka is the Ooh. um comp excellent yeah and i agree i agree completely yeah. um there's that one guy who drops dead of a heart attack Oh, in the so lobby sad. who's like trying to talk to everybody and nobody wants to talk to him but the, probably everything the most, prepared <laughs> the most shocking and tragic character is this german woman who is left with two americans dogs who she hates yeah. and she ends up with meeting with georg she doesn't want to talk to him but she wants to buy him lunch and drinks and he's okay with that yeah they go yeah, for a they... walk he roll turns around to roll a cigarette turns back and she's just jumped off this like ledge and she's dead yeah. You know, it's soundless. Yeah, and it's, it's like horrifying. yeah, and it's so and, sad. Well, and it's like before that too. I think there's like a see a moment where Georg is like, "Oh, how are the dogs? Are do- how are the dogs doing?" She's they're, just, they're, they're, they're gone. Dead. They're dead. They're, they're dead. gone. <laughs> it's like, oh god. <laughs> and it should be noted at this point, Georg is played by German actor Franz Rogowski, who this is his first film. Christian Petzold. They've made two now. He was in Petzold's follow-up to this Undina. Mm-hmm. Um, Rogowski was born in 1986, and he is like the definition in my book of like the up-and-coming international actor of the moment. Uh, he's in Terrence Malick's A Hidden Life, and he's apparently in the Terrence Malick Jesus movie Ooh. as well. Um, and he's become this actor. If he's in it, I'm interested. Like, yeah. He there's a he did this movie this on movie called Great Freedom where he plays a um post World War II homosexual man who's imprisoned and develops a relationship with his cellmate. Oh, I've heard about this movie. It's on movie. It's on movie uh, mm-hmm. right now. Um, but probably the most he's it in each of these movies that he's got coming he's at the keys like a can film festival also he's in michael Haneke's happy end as Ooh. well in our earlier work in 2017 but the one i'm most excited about is this movie called passages that played at the sundance film festival earlier this year that seems to have a deeply intriguing like saucy 
premise about a longtime male couple played by Rogowski and Ben Wishaw. And Rogowski is playing a Rainier Werner Fassbender-esque madman director who develops an affair with a woman played by Blue is the Warmest Colors, Adele Exochopoulos. And it's kind of Ben Wishaw's like, I thought we were like, <laughs> I thought you were... <laughs> you played for my for, team, Bo. Firmly, <laughs> a gay, firmly a gay man, and we're in this like firm, long-term relationship, and now you're like having like hot sex with this like cool young woman. <laughs> it's like, you just dropped like, an atom bomb here, dude. Not good, not good. I'm, I'm dying to see this movie. I think it sounds great. I love the premise. Uh, I'm like, it sounds like so like adult and intriguing. Yeah, Iris Act, a good Iris Act too is like a filmmaker who consistently mm-hmm. makes like films for adults, which yeah. is nice. So he's um he's in the next uh, David Michaud movie too. Like Pete Ooh. Davidson's also lead of, but whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, what this guy Pete? You know he has like fucking like Joe Pesci comes out of retirement to play yeah. his uncle or whatever. Crazy. He, He's got like he's like Jagger Hoover. He's got like details on everybody. Or like <laughs> yes, he's got like he's got like fucking uh, the guy from Hail Caesar working for him. Yeah, the Eddie Mannix is working for him and getting him shit. Yeah. Eddie Mannix is getting him the goods. Yeah, true fixer. He's got oh, he's got Ray Donovan working for him. Oh yeah. Jesus, he's got Ray. No man, they're toast. No wonder Joe Pesci's working for him. You know, the only one who can defeat can be defeated yeah. by Ray. Yeah. But this is a really exciting young actor who, like, mm-hmm. like we were saying, like, and he brings, he's got incredible sensitivity. Like we were kind of comparing him I, physically. They've got, he's got kind of a similar look to a young Joaquin Phoenix. Um, and he's got that mm-hmm. same kind of real, like, soft-spoken yeah. um, sensitivity. Very expressive eyes, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like a real yearning in his eyes yeah yearning is a great like it's like and it's like one of those guys who you feel can like turn on a dime mm-hmm. like he, you believe him as like a caring loving empathetic person but you but also, you, you also know he could play like an intense like bad guy yeah too. and he'll do what it takes to survive you know yeah. he's excellent in this movie he guides this movie the same way nina haas guides barbara and phoenix except he's a little more um open-hearted he's not as chilly as she is but that's okay it's okay. Yeah, there's well, no, different there's no, there's no positive or negative associated with either of those styles. Yeah, it, they can folks. both be good. Yeah. Um. So he decides he and Marie are going to leave. They're going to take. They're going to board the ship, the Montreal, mm-hmm. and head off to Mexico. Um. And he reve- he realizes though on the car ride out that Marie firmly believes she's going to meet up with her husband on board the ship and she's never going to kind of give up the ghost of her husband and Georg realizes like okay I got it I can't I can't keep doing this I can't like I have to do something so in kind of like a Barbara-ish kind of choice he stops the car they go back to Richard and he gives the letters of transit to Richard and Marie to leave. Mm. He goes, Oh, and the other great thing in this movie that I really love, this movie has voiceover narration, which the other two don't. 
Mm And I think it's really essential to this movie, which is a little more obscure than the other two are. The voiceover narration is done by the bartender at the place they all go to, who's just getting this story kind of secondhand from Georg. Yep. And kind of like saying like what he sees is Georg eats a margarita pizza and drinks wine all day yeah. at his bar. Turns out, yeah, he's at like the the Marseille equivalent to Shakey's. Like, yeah, <laughs> well, pizza look great. Diana, oh, incredible Marseille, big pizza town, big pizza town, um, best pizza in France, I bet. He and as he's telling the bartender his story, and he entrusts the final manuscript to the bartender, he sees what he thinks is Marie pass by outside. He's like, oh, wow. And he goes to chase her. He ends up at the port to confirm that, she, wait, she went on the boat, right? I want to make sure she got on the boat. And he discovers that the Montreal hit a mine, exploded, and sank with no survivors. And by all accounts, Richard and Marie are dead. Yeah. And poor Georgism. <laughs> crestfallen shattered decimated yeah decimated by this news as haunted yep as as are we as as an audience like it's yeah it's all for not sand in your hands (laughs) yeah (laughs) going through your fingers and he returns to the bar at the end and we know that the sweep and purge of the refugees is on marseille is falling if you did not get out now you are in big trouble. And he takes his seat with his pizza and his wine to wait for Marie's return. Uh. And the door opens at the end and the final shot is him, wide-eyed puppy dog, turning to the door with hope in his eyes. God, we yeah. don't know who's at the door. We have yeah, no is, clues at the door. Is that like the Maria and ushering him into fucking heaven? Who does to say? Like, truly. And then Petzold hits us even harder with his credit music cue, Talking Heads, Road to Nowhere. Man. Which, bravo. Yeah. Perfect song. Perfect, like, contrast to the kind of classical feel of the rest of the musical musicality mm-hmm. of the movie. Playful, even. I would, yeah. And I liked it. Weirdly, <laughs> so, yeah. Like, I honestly, like almost like, uh, maybe not hopeful, but at least, like, um, it's in a better it's so interesting how this movie ends with a smile on his face and kind of like a semi-jovial talking head song well i think like this and the next film andina which also stars franz rogowski and paula beer who plays marie who is Mm -hmm. um an incandescent young actress who Mm -hmm. is um wonderful and also intriguing and everything in between. She's only born in um, 1995. Oh, wow. So she's just getting started, baby. <laughs> Man, she's like in that Timothy Chalamet zone. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, you know, people are clearly totally noticing her, including Christian Petzold. Yeah. Because, oh, she was in Never Look Away, too. Yeah. The, the And she's, um, yeah, a truly emerging talent who's the lead of Andina. And she's the lead of um, A Fire, his latest film as well and um you need an actress or an actor whoever's kind of playing this ghost this dream ghost kind of part Mm -hmm. to be 
have those qualities like someone like you as an audience member would feel the same as Georg yeah in wanting someone to like, that's follow everyone Yeah, there's yeah, there's like an angelic quality. There's like a wispy quality. You you feel like it. Sometimes it feels like you could like, like you you kind of like the way that she is filmed and portrayed. There are times where it feels like she could just all be in Franz Rogowski's head. Yeah, well, there's also the touches. She's the only person who wears color in the movie too. She wears like bright red dresses and stuff like that, Yeah. compared to everyone else wearing dark clothes the entire way through. It's true. But that's like true filmmaking shit right there. You got to think about all those things. Um, their next, the next film they made together on Dina is even more of like a ravishing, romantic film that's also a play on the mermaid myth, which is really, really cool. Um, it's on Hulu. If anyone wants to watch that one, I took a look Ooh. at it again uh, before diving into this because I wanted to watch. I want to watch them all again. Well, Who am I maybe kidding? when I, maybe in between watching episodes of The Path, Yeah, Everyone remembers that uh, Aaron Paul joint, right? The path. the bear is back, but so is <laughs> Andina. Better call Saul. What about <laughs> better call Andina? Tim Robbins is Merlin. Tim Robbins is Merlin. <laughs> That's an inside joke. That's an inside joke. <laughs> I mean, I, if you told me Hulu was making a mini series about Merlin from Top Gun, I would just, We're gonna, I'd be like we're nodding, gonna tell yeah. his we're gonna tell the story that hasn't been told, the story of Merlin, the guy who replaced Goose in Yes. Top Gun. <laughs> now, I, well, it's going to be a buddy comedy with our boy Warlock. <laughs> It's Merlin and Wardo Warlock. <laughs> they, they, Warlock. they solve they solve air crimes. They Yeah. <laughs> there's Well, a lot I thought of murders you I on I was I always thought you were talking about Warlock, the son of the devil demon, Warlock. Uh, played by In that the late theory. great played by the late great Julian Sands. <laughs> oh no, that's a that's Warlock v Warlock. That's a different Yeah. miniseries. One of the side characters from Top Gun Maverick versus the son of the devil warlock. Um, uh, Wow. Transit was another great critical success. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Transit lives up to its title with a challenging drama that captures characters and puts the audience in a state of flux and exerts an unsettling pull. I think um, yet again though, this is a uh, All those movies, they take a moment, but they sneak up on you. They develop these. He cares about things like melodrama. He cares about things like thrills, but he does them in his own way. Mm -hmm. And Transit is perhaps his boldest experimentation in this, but it has continued. Andina, like I mentioned before, is like has special effects. It's like a story of a mermaid. Wow. And a deep sea diver who meets her and their love affair and the, tra you know, their tragic love affair. It's It's interesting like, that that's because I feel like there was like a Colin Farrell movie. it's the same thing. It's like Yeah. the same story. Yeah. That is so fast. I feel like that story has been done a couple times lately. It's that's fascinating that Yeah. the, I the don't way know that the. what drew them all to it. I mean, obviously it's, you know, based on a like longstanding myth, but Right. um, fascinating movie. And, The two of them, like, if you wanted to see them, like, have a full-fledged romance. Because I think it's teased in transit.
and you like the two of them together. They look good together, like all of the qualities you want from a movie couple. Right. Pop with them. Undina takes it all the way. So mm. Undina was also successful, you know, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. He's a critically beloved filmmaker. Um, and this is all leading to his new film, A Fire, which is more of like a young person vacation, summer vacation in Germany, draw like drama influenced by the films of Eric Romare, who Ooh. apparently he binged while having COVID. That was kind of, and that kind of led him on a different path. Um, he's one of the great, literate, mature adult filmmakers who's also accessible. Yeah. And that's like, should be admired and frankly should be fucking copied. Yeah. This is like, yeah, this is like a once upon a time, there'd be a type of movie where mom and dad would get a fucking babysitter. Yeah. And, you know, kids would have to stay at home and play Banjo-Kazooie or whatever stupid game they had on their Nintendo. And then mom and dad would get to see, like, you know, something that would make them think a little bit. Nothing too crazy, you know? You know, but it's not like... A like, name. you know, it's like, you know, when your parents went to go see, like, Clute or something. Although that's actually my parents would have been teenagers. But, you know, yeah. like, but yeah. I think, like, you know, a movie that, like, is watchable, watchable, enjoyable but also like leaves you with some thoughts and like what what was the deal with that like we were talking about um somehow i think it's because it's on the criterion channel a lot of people have been watching night moves the arthur penn gene oh, hackman yeah. movie i think that's such a great example of 100%. that of that too and it's just something that people used to do a little bit more things weren't as as strongly catered to 16 year olds well, we, we, we didn't have to hit every movies. We live in such an insane cinema environment where every movie that gets released in theaters is either a niche indie film designed to get awards at the Oscars mm -hmm. or it is a $500 million like the budget of the Indiana Jones and the Time Twister or whatever, the Temple of whatever the heck, the newest Indiana Jones, yeah. it's like $500 million. Same with so the Fast X was like that too. And it's like, yeah. And the, when you're that expensive, you have to get everyone on board, not yeah. just like American adults, not just American adults and their kids. The whole world and the whole world's children. It's insane. It's folly. It's it's a total folly, and it goes to show why, like, you know, movies that did it. Top Gun did it. Avatar did it. Mm -hmm. Why did and why did they do it? Genuine human things in yeah. them. They are not an equation. They are trying to, even as dumb as Maverick, or as simple-minded mm -hmm. as Maverick could possibly be, yeah, they are trying to say something about the art and the artist that they're who made it. Yeah, well, and guess what? Like, if it becomes an equation, you just end up with fucking McDonald's. Yeah, sorry, like you end up with you end up with like you know burgers made with no love, like no, and like the, <laughs> and the audience is smart enough. 
Yeah. to pick up on it. A lot of people, and I haven't seen Indiana Jones. I want to see Indiana Jones. I do. I'm a huge Indiana. I'm a huge fan of the series. I love those yeah. movies. They're like key movies to me as a kid. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, but I like them too. What is it? You know, a lot of people are like, oh, only older audiences want to see it. Well, they hadn't made a Top Gun movie in 35 years. Mm -hmm. And that got a lot of kids yeah. to show up to see it. So what was the what was the difference? What do they do different? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I haven't seen any maybe... Jones yet, but I could take some guesses just sight unseen. Yeah, you know, maybe like you know, it's yeah, it's like that. For, what's that phrase? Touch grass. You know, yeah. that could uh, that can go a long way with cinema. Like you know, I better make you know worlds that are so insane that yeah. they're worth experiencing. But that that like, had to be the uh... the vision of a single man. Audiences can smell the bullshit on the wall than yeah. when they're when they're being sold it. And that's why I think like you have to recognize even if you're not gonna get everyone, mm -hmm. I think respecting the audience and knowing that they can travel with you down this road. And I think that that's like one of the highlights of Christian Petzold's work is he believes the audience is will willing to come with him down these dark roads mm -hmm. that he and He's shedding a light on, you know, we talk, we, this is the best of international cinema in that you can read a book about what's gone down in Germany since the war. Mm -hmm. These movies give you a real taste of how they feel, how like a German person feels. Yeah. And it gives you insight and gives you, opens your eyes to a different culture and a different world and something you just may not have known about if you're like a dumb American like Patrick and I are. Yeah, you know our brains are filled with ketchup and uh, cheeseburger dust. You know, and just like you know the <laughs> feelings of trauma and the combined feelings of trauma and shame that seem to have haunted Germany in a lot of ways, um, are in the same way. And what we learned in Hong Sang Soo that a lot of South Korean filmmakers of a certain age have their heads up their asses. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm saying the character the characters in his movie. I'm not saying him. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, they're definitely yeah, you know, it's hard getting Saki up there, but they're not Saki. Um artistic uh, artistic types in Hong Sang Zoo movies just can't really handle their liquor and they cry about it. <laughs> <laughs> nope, they cannot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's also like What's amazing, you know, we talked so about it is, is they are um they're talking about a post dictatorship. That generation of South of Korean filmmakers. Yeah, the Hong no. Sang Su's, Bong Joon Ho's, mm -hmm. um, you know, down the line. I'm I'm the forgetting the director of uh, Lee Shang Dong, the director of Burning. Um and so forth. Yeah. You know, in Taiwan's filmmaker, they're influenced by like the the crazy political morass that was taiwan in like the mm -hmm. 60s and 70s like all these like, we all are you cannot escape your history yeah exactly and even the new hollywood people coming post vietnam post nixon watergate etc etc and the feeling of paranoia and dread that haunt those movies oh man like you know I used to say like a singer songwriter couldn't write a good album if they're happily married. Mm. It's fairly like it's like this things are going too damn well. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, art art thrives on chaos. Art thrives on drama. And you know, if things are going really, really well, like I mean <laughs> Tarantino claims the eighties and the fifties are the worst times in movie history. In American mm-hmm. movie history. And those coincidentally are the most you know, combined with the most like rah rah Americana, everything's okay, conform yeah. kind of like <laughs> moments. But we're also in one now, weirdly enough, for as depressed and brutalized as people feel now. Yeah, that's the it's thing. interesting that art is not being used as a proper in a lot of cases as a proper weapon because I think people have like lost like um uh, it was something that people talking about because it's um is for as downbeat and depressed and brutalized as people feel, people are not re- reacting with nihilism or cynicism like they did in the seventies with New Hollywood. Mm. They're reacting with, I just want to see my, I want optimism. I so, just like, want my fr- which my is friends. everything, everywhere, all at once. Mm. The probably the key movie of this entire generation. That is true. It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that movie looms. Well, and it's so fascinating because you got that movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and then you have um, the movie, the Everything Everywhere All at Once of this year is that uh, Into the Spider-Verse or whatever, which Mm -hmm. people are like, they love it. They love, and hey, I watched it. It's a good, it's a fun time. Uh, is it the uh, best film of all time? Uh, I'm not gonna comment, but like it's a movie, I I sort of get it. But it's also like it's interesting. It is interesting that like we are craving like I don't know. I don't know what the multiverse. I don't know what the appeal. It's like the multiverse, and then like having our little toys. I don't know. And and yeah. the love and and the um the acceptance. Like you know, my mom is a good mom. My dad's a good dad. I don't know. Yeah, I. I th- it take braver minds than us and more years than us to yeah. reflect on this. I think that um, you're probably right that uh, look back, it's too early to look back and try and define the moment within the moment. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you're in the you're in it. But I do think that there is a real question. It's like, why are people so interested in these multiverses? It's I don't. Weird. It's an interesting. It's an interesting quirk. It is like very. Um... It's it's n- it's not appealing at all to me. But I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's no. not personally appealing at all. No. I'm. Well, I, I'm yeah. really. I'm really good with like grounded stories that are just happening within our world, though. Those are like yeah. More more things. sci-fi films like Transit, you say? Yes. Yeah. Sci-fi like films would... like Transit. Yeah, so, you'd be pissed if like... like Chewbacca appeared in Transit. You would be like, get out of here. <laughs> or if I'm gonna do a multiverse, just I'll just watch Tenet again. <laughs> yeah, that's a good that's a good multiverse-ish movie. Yeah, dudes rock. Bless yeah. the mind. Yeah. Weird, yeah, backwards fight, love it. Yeah, love it. That guy it. gets exploded into a, a wall. That's great. That sounds cool. I'm into <laughs> yeah. it. Like Tenet rules. But it's so I think like I hope, I hope we get as many listeners to this one as we did for the Hong Sing Su one. Mm-hmm. So these are the funnest ones for me. Actually, it's just kind of introdu- it, trying my best. If hopefully if people <laughs> have not heard of these folks as or aren't as aware of them and are encouraged to check some of them out. Mm-hmm. I like like these ones a lot. Boy, that was fun. All yeah, are all it. are pretty all are pretty easy to see. 
too. Yeah, they're great. Like, yeah, and then they're like, yeah, canopy to be like, like yeah. free, free, uh, two are free, and then the the other one is on you know Amazon. And was it on movie or a uh, Criterion? Um, Phoenix is on Criterion. Gotcha. gotcha but I gotcha. think there are some on movie too. I mean, they're these are round. You yeah, know, yeah, the dis- you can find the, them. The distributors have done a good job of kind of making these pretty readily available so people can explore a bit more. Which is nice. Absolutely. So uh speaking of exploring, uh I'm going to be doing some traveling the next <laughs> three weeks. So we are going to be doing um our sum- uh, summer hiatus with some reruns. Yeah, um, some greatest the, hits. The, some greatest hits in the next three weeks, catch up on some of our favorite episodes we've i think we've combined some ones we thought were really fun and informative to ones that we just thought were kind of funny <laughs> like <laughs> or so anything else uh yeah. we hope you enjoy those we're back though second week of august mm. promise it's already on the schedule for global and local crimes part two all the money in the world and house of gucci looking forward to these um you know behind the curtain i have no idea in my travels if i will be able to see any of these movies so that's why we need to um yeah <laughs> wait it out of it <laughs> it's, you know it's just uh we've actually i will say this we have done an incredible because like when did we start like august of 2020 something yeah we've, something we're, like we're heading toward three years in it's crazy and we yeah. haven't missed a week and we both have gone through some like wild stuff like crazy stuff you had a <sighs> child born in this time it's you, nuts you, you name it health issues <laughs> health issues have been yeah. everywhere it's just like yeah we've been hey everything everywhere so, all at once that's a damn documentary indeed, indeed. <laughs> so we're gonna do a few reruns but we're not going anywhere I promise no. we're gonna keep it keep it all happening yeah and we're back we'll be back to head into the late summer into mm-hmm. the fall really scott michael bay David Fincher, oh, Antoine yeah. Fuqua, Xenomorphs. Um, yes. You name it. Like, Oh, man. Yep. We're going to find out what the deal with the equalizer is. We're going to, you know. Yeah. Will King Arthur find his damn sword or whatever that movie's about? I don't know. Uh, how much am I going to have to grit my teeth through talking about an entire Transformers movie? <laughs> oh, God, these... I'm not looking forward to that. No. So no, no. bad. They suck. They're bad. So before we head out, before I uh, quiz the audience, Patrick out of the three, we I think we can agree. I think Phoenix is maybe the best. Yes, out of the I three. would say so. What was your favorite? Oh, man, it's tough. I I am. Um... God, they all have their own unique appeal. I really like. There is something about Barbara. There's a cleanness mm-hmm. to Barbara, like just from start to finish. Like no, no fat. It's just a kind of a perfect film in its own way. Um, and it's not showy. Uh, and I kind of love that, how like unpretentious that felt like, but even compared to Phoenix and transit, um, God, uh, Phoenix is great. Like you get, I might have to just give it to Phoenix just because mm-hmm. that ending is so yeah. like, yeah, man, just like what a banger. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'd say, yeah, I'll give it to yeah. I'll say Phoenix one, Barbara two, Transit three. And it's all really close for me. It's like, yeah. And, you know, um, on my side of things, Transit's actually my favorite. And I don't know why it just like. 
I just like it. It's no, just, it's a cool. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe you like I, your, I agree, your I friends think. head. I'm a friends head too. I'm a friends yeah. and Paula head. Um, yeah. but Barbara and Phoenix are excellent and these are all great movies oh, check yeah. them out I... check in with us at the academy academy podcast gmail.com or on twitter at the academy we'd love to hear what your favorite is mm. out of this batch and if you got turned on are you a petzled head are you going to be at the american cinematheque either the arrow or the um he's in new york i believe as well this week oh um, so you new york listeners you have a shot Ooh. to see a rare stateside appearance you feeling uh, hot? You got France fever? Got France fever? Are you um? Are you peeking for Paula? Are you um? <laughs> you got the, the hots for Haas? Hots for Haas, nodding for Nina. <laughs> <laughs> nodding for Nina, like that one. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was nodding for Nina. <laughs> stupid. Yeah, it was very like stupid, I write I, I write for the New Yorker. I don't get too excited, so I'm just gonna be. Yeah, nodding, nodding you're not me. like Anthony Lane. You're not getting horny seeing Miss Incredibles, but I, I was kidding. Like that's funny. I imagine the New Yorker those those critics like the horniest of all the critics. Horny goblins. They're every one of them. Even even our boy. Even our boy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I haven't. I we should look up what he thinks. I bet he thinks Petzold's too cold and dry. That would be my sight unseen Richard Brody review. Yeah. He's not Joe. He's no Joe Swanberg. (laughs) Yeah, no Joe Swanberg. I like Joe Swanberg's movies too, though. Yeah. Uh, So hope you enjoy that. We will see you in nary a few weeks. It'll go by so fast you won't even realize it. Go for a swim. Go for a walk. uh, Catch up with some episodes. All of our episodes are too too damn long anyway. So like you probably need to catch up. Try to get out of the country before the faceless fascist force comes. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, or, but if and if you have to say, make sure you find a really, really good pizza parlor. That is important. That's key. That mine, key. It's, it's unfortunately mine is my local Papa John's, but it's one of the Papa Shacks. It's like yeah, a... so American. It's like <laughs> the transit, the American remake. It's Paul Walter Hauser sitting in a Papa John's, waiting for the QAnon soldiers to come in. <laughs> dreams of a burger i know no more burgers in america it's all Uh, all all is lost we're on the road to nowhere (laughs) his ingenue is grimace yeah oh my god okay so for patrick (laughs) i'm don we'll see you next week on the academy academy later oh not next week at all (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know where we're going